this time of year is filled with all kinds of Christmas family traditions. Some incredibly special that we can't imagine living without, and perhaps some that we have a hard time living with. Several years ago, uh, TV late night host Jimmy Fallon did a segment called Hashtag My Dumb Tradition, where he asked viewers to share their most cringeworthy, questionable uh, family holiday traditions. Here were some of them. My grandma used to serve cranberry sauce from a can uh, as a whole and left it that way. <laughs> Since my grandma is gone, we always have a can-shaped cranberry sauce out as our centerpiece, even though no one likes it or eats it. <laughs> my dad and his 11 brothers turned my deceased grandpa's prosthetic leg into a kindness trophy. <laughs> And it is awarded to a different family member every year to display in their home. <laughs> you can't make this stuff up. <laughs> One year after Christmas, my mom got so upset with us ignoring the dried out tree that she grabbed it herself and threw it out onto the lawn. Now, every year we have a tree tossing contest. <laughs> You wonder with some of these, right, just how many future generations will experience the awkward. But traditions have this uncanny power, right, precisely in their ability to be passed down from generation to generation. The story of Christmas, the story of Jesus' birth, has not lost its power over the course of the centuries. From generation to generation, it has been passed down along with all of the accompanying traditions and people have found their place within this story and everything that surrounds it. It has this way of always weaving us in each year once more. And so this Advent, we've been looking at the ways that our lives, our stories, our histories, our actions are, are drawn in, woven into the narrative of Jesus's birth. We've talked about how from generation to generation, there's room for every story. We've talked about how from generation to generation, God meets us in the midst of our fears. And today we weave ourselves into the narrative of Joseph as we discover that from generation to generation, we can choose a better way. We can choose a better way. Let us pray. God, open our hearts and minds to your word for us this day. We pray that it would take root there, that it would grow us and transform us that we might live for you and might bear fruit for your kingdom. This we pray through Christ our Lord. Amen. Two scripture readings this morning, one from the prophet Isaiah and then from the Gospel of Matthew. This is Isaiah 35, 1 through 10. The desert and the dry land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom like the crocus. They will burst into bloom and rejoice with joy and singing. They will receive the glory of Lebanon, the splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the Lord's glory, the splendor of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and support the unsteady knees. Say to those who are panicking, be strong, don't fear. Here's your God coming with vengeance, with divine retribution, God will come to save you. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf will be cleared. Then the lame will leap like the deer and the tongue of the speechless will sing. Waters will spring up in the desert and streams in the wilderness. The burning sand will become a pool and the thirsty ground fountains of water. 
the jackal's habitat a pasture. Grass will become reeds and rushes. A highway, highway will be there. It will be called the holy way. The unclean won't travel on it, but it will be for those walking on that way. Even fools won't get lost on it. No lion will be there and no predator will go up on it. None of these will be there. Only the redeemed will walk on it. The Lord's ransomed ones will return and enter Zion with singing with everlasting joy upon their heads. Happiness and joy will overwhelm them. Grief and groaning will flee away. Then from the Gospel of, of Matthew, chapter 18, excuse me, chapter 1, verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ took place. When Mary, his mother, was engaged to Joseph, before they were married, she became pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man. Because he didn't want to humiliate her, he decided to call off their engagement quietly. As he was thinking about this, an angel from the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Because the child she carries was conceived by the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you will call him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now all of this took place so that what the Lord had spoken through the prophet would be fulfilled. Look, a virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did just as an angel from God commanded and took Mary as his wife. But he didn't have sexual relations with her until she gave birth to his son. Joseph called him Jesus. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, I wonder what Joseph did when he heard the news. Did he drop his carpenter's hammer on the floor? Did the wood plane slip on the wood as his head slipped into his calloused hands? Mary was pregnant. However he found out the news, and whatever his initial reaction was, as far as Joseph knew, his soon-to-be wife had been unfaithful to him and had broken their marriage contract. That was the only logical explanation. In the first century world of Mary and Joseph, engagement was not just um, a romantic declaration of intent. It was a legal contract to be engaged or pledged was essentially to be married without having consummated the marriage or lived together yet. So when Joseph learns that Mary is pregnant, we can only imagine his confusion and his devastation and his pain. He knew, he knew what the possibilities were. He could either publicly declare his, his injury, in which case Mary most likely would have been stoned as prescribed in Old Testament law, or he could divorce her quietly. Joseph is faithful. We're told he's a righteous Man, and he also cares about Mary. What, what would he choose? So he decides to divorce her quietly, which in reality was really just the lesser of two evils. It's a choice with little cost to Joseph, but great cost to Mary. Unmarried mothers and their children were among the most vulnerable people in first century Palestine, potentially shunned by society and even cut off from family support, still better than stoning. And in the midst of thinking about this, in the midst of deliberating about how to manage the ripple effects of this unplanned, unexpected turn of events, Joseph is intruded upon by God. 
divine intervention happens. An angel comes to him in his dreams. Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife because the child she has was conceived by the Holy Spirit. In other words, don't be afraid, Joseph, of the social stigma. Don't be afraid of becoming an adoptive parent. Don't be afraid to make the courageous choice that will change your life, that will change Mary's life, that will change the the lives of generations to come. She will give birth to a son and you will call him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All of a sudden, this interruption becomes a powerful invitation to choose a better way. A way that would make way for the way. And when he wakes up, Joseph has the courage and the trust to choose a better way. To stay with Mary, to become the adoptive parent to the Savior of the world. I wonder, it can be tempting to look at this story, to look at Joseph, and to wonder, you know, why did it take divine intervention for Joseph to just choose a better way? After all, it took a vision of an angel for Joseph not to abandon Mary, his partner. And then I remember, are we really that different? Because the truth is, it takes divine intervention for us to choose the better way too, especially if our priorities, our power, our privilege, our perceptions, our prejudices, our pride are on the line or at risk. That divine intervention is called grace. It's called grace. Part of what grace is, is God intruding in, in the midst of our daily lives, interrupting our perceptions and our privilege and our pride and our preoccupations and our priorities, inviting us to choose a better way and then giving us the power and the courage to be able to do it, to make that choice. God's grace is the divine intervention that empowers us to choose a better way. In our baptism liturgy, it's why one of the historic profession of faith questions is this. Do you accept the freedom and power God gives you to resist evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves? In other words, do you accept that God enables you, empowers you, gives you the strength to be able to choose a better way? Joseph chose a better way. So we are, all of us, like Joseph. Each and every day, we're faced with opportunities to choose a better way in our relationships at work and at home and with friends, in the manner in which we spend our time, in the manner in which we spend our money, in the manner in which we allow certain voices or or ideologies to speak loudest in our lives, in the manner we interact with this planet that God made and told us to take care of, in the way that we treat people different than we are, and how we use our freedoms. Each and every day, friends, we live out that age-old human story of whether or not we will choose the better way, what is good and what is right and what is true and what is just and what is loving or not. From generation to generation, human beings, God's image bearers, have been confronted with choosing a better way. 
or not. In Genesis, at the very beginning, it's represented, that choice is represented by a fruit tree, right? Where humanity is confronted with this choice, choose to live with God at the center, to live in relationship with God, allowing God to define good and evil, and partnering with God to bring about more order and beauty and flourishing in the world, or live with human beings at the center of it all without partnering with God, seeking to define good and evil on our own terms apart from God. We know what happens, right? Our ancestors, Adam and Eve, do not choose a better way. Unfortunately, we do not always choose a better way, a way that leads to life, a way that leads to wholeness, a way that leads to community and to flourishing and to beauty. From generation to generation, we can choose a better way, but we need help doing so. Which is why Joseph's choice of a better way is so special because it leads to being the because it leads to being the earthly father for the one who was the way, the way, who showed us a new way to be human, who chose the better way every single time, the way of justice and the way of peace, the way of love, the way of hope, the way of healing, the way the kingdom. Choosing the better way every time got him crucified. But Jesus' life, death, and resurrection gave us access to this empowering grace in which we now stand. A grace that says, don't be afraid to make the courageous choice. A grace that just like Joseph's dream gives us God's perspective on the issue. From generation to generation, by God's grace, we can choose a better way. Have you ever heard of the seventh generation principle? It's actually a philosophy of the Iroquois peoples that emphasizes how seven generations after us will be affected by our current actions and decisions. It makes you think. It makes me think about the generations that came before us, and how we are the inheritors in a lot of way of their choices. To a certain degree, we are walking in the ways that they chose. Many chose the better way, many did not. But all with the ability to choose. It makes me think that us today, all of us, like Joseph, have days full of opportunities to make Little choices that pave a certain way now, but, but cumulatively will affect people generations upon generations from now, seven generations in the future. Will we choose a better way? Will it be a way that leads to Jesus, his kingdom? When it comes to white people doing the right thing and working for justice, we can choose a better way. When it comes to welcoming communities historically uh, excluded from church or not, we can choose a better way. When it comes to keeping Jesus to ourselves or telling others about Christ and his saving love, we can choose a better way. When it comes to living in fear of those different than us or having the humility to learn from others in relationship with them, we can choose a better way. When it comes to harboring ill will or resentment or hatred toward a coworker, a friend, a family member, or doing the hard work of forgiveness, we can choose 
the better way. When it comes to speaking in ways that tear others down or speaking in ways that build others up, we can choose a better way. When it comes to envy and discontent or joy and gratitude, we can choose a better way. When it comes to living with fear as our currency or hope as our anthem, we can choose a better way. When it comes to blindly chasing after the American dream or pursuing the kingdom of God, we can choose a better way. When it comes to living with ourselves, living for self, or living to serve others in love, we can choose a better way. What happens when we do? We get something like the beautiful vision in Isaiah 35, where the desert and the dry land are glad, where the wilderness blossoms, where God's glory is seen, God's salvation is near, eyes of the blind open, ears of the deaf cleared, lame, leaping, speechless, singing, waters springing up in the desert, sorrow and sadness fleeing away. In other words, we get an abundant, full way of life. Just this week, I'm sure we all saw the news about the, the power substation intentionally sabotaged in Moore County to our, our south, left most 50,000 people without power. Someone or some people did not choose a better way. However, many people did and are choosing a better way. I read a story in a local Southern Pines newspaper about a food truck campus there called Red's Corner in downtown Southern Pines. By Monday, Already it had emerged as a place to gather as food trucks run on generators. Unprompted, the town of Southern Pines reached out to the owner, Rachel Jurgens, on Monday morning, waiving all restrictions uh, surrounding how many food trucks could be parked on the corner. Food trucks, trucks started coming in from all the surrounding areas to help serve. Bayou in the Pines and Meet and Greek serve first responders and linemen for free. An effort started by a local realtor and funded by donations from the community. Brittany, owner and operator of Meet and Greek, made plans at lunchtime to deliver trays from her business's catering operation to the West End substation where the crews were working to repair the damage caused by the infrastructure attack. People were bringing in all kinds of supplies unasked. One guy brought in a, a turkey that had been defrosting in, the free, defrosting in his freezer just in case one of the food trucks could cook it and serve it. Today, people look tired and hungry and cold. They're feeling much better being around other people, Jurgen said on, on Tuesday. Everybody is being so amazing. Everyone is just stepping up, trying to figure out how to serve as many people as we can. That's a better way. Friends, I, I don't know what kind of choices exactly you will face this week. Maybe you're faced with a really, really difficult decision right now. Or maybe it's just the, the small choices, right, of the daily grind. Whether the choices are big with huge ramifications or small and seemingly mundane, may we be interrupted by grace. May we experience God intruding in, giving us a kingdom perspective and the courage and the strength to choose a better way, like Joseph even when it might be risky, so that we and others from generation to generation might experience a love greater than anything, 
a way that is truly life abundant. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.